One way in which I once heard someone describe the Bible story was as a journey between two trees. What I meant by this is in Genesis 2, we read of God making a garden, and he puts two trees in the midst of the garden. And often we kind of focus on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But actually the one that he says we should be focusing on is the other one, the tree of life. Because this tree appear, reappears at the very end of Revelation. Not sure how it works, but, but apparently on either side of a river is the tree of life, producing lots of varieties of fruit, and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. And this person suggests that the Bible is kind of a, seen as a journey between those two trees. That's quite a good way of looking at it. But the community Bible experience is going to unpack the big story of the Bible in six acts, which I'm going to talk about all very quickly. First one is God's intention. That God creates the world, and Christians will have many views on how that happened, but at the very heart of our belief is that all things ultimately come from God, and that includes our own lives. And we are placed in the world, in God's world, to care for the world, to nurture it, to guide it, to cause it to thrive. And we are made for a network of relationships, and I often have shown these many times. Yeah, up here, we are created for a relationship with God. We are created to live in community with other people. One of the first things the Bible says is it's not good that man should be alone, and many women have discovered this. And uh, yeah, we are created to live in relationship with creation, but we're also created to live in relationship with ourselves, to love ourselves, to care for ourselves, and to accept all of these things, all our world as a gift from God that is good. But the thing is, in the second act, we discover that the world isn't as God intended to be. One of the very first stories is a couple, Adam and Eve, who listen to their own seductive wisdom apart from God, who choose to rely on their own wisdom and to live not in relationship with God, but to be their own masters. And the point of the story isn't that somebody way back when ate an apple and so we're all doomed to do the same thing. The point of the story is that this is also about choices that we make. That it would, in our own way, at different times, we make exactly the same choice as they did. And that has devastating consequences for this network of relationships that we live in. Our relationship with God was damaged, that we hide from God. Our relationships with one another are damaged. And if you turn on our news, you will see that most of the stories in our news are about people whose relationships are damaged with one another. We, we each sort of seek our own ends at times without appreciating the needs of others. Our relationship with our creation is broken. And we see right, up to, right down to today, in which our planet is under threat and humanity and how we have treated the world is a significant part of that. And even our relationships with ourselves are broken. We live with shame. We feel cut off from others. We, we can't think, if, if, if people knew that about me, they might not think this to me. You know, and even when we try to collaborate, such as we get in the story of Babel, it's so often it's done at the expense of others or our own ambitions, and they get in the way and they stop us truly flourishing. 
And the Bible has a word for this experience. It is called exile. We live cut off from the things that make life most meaningful and precious. And the big question that the most, the, the huge chunk of this book is going to be dealing with is are things destined to be that way forever or is there a way that these relationships can be, these relationships can be restored and get back to the original good intention? And that's where we pick up Israel's mission. The Bible maintains that even with all that is wrong in the world, it is still God's good world. God loves the world and God hasn't given up. And the thing is, though, God also still takes seriously the calling he placed on humans to care for this world, to be his image bearers, to care for the world as he would. And God doesn't force like a top-down approach. Maybe God works bottom-up. He starts small. He builds. He starts with one family, Abram, and promises to bless them and through them to bless the whole world. And the Old Testament follows their story. And it is a real up and down story. For the people who are supposed to bless the world, they're not very good at it. They're not very good at blessing each other. But God keeps plugging away, often working through their failure. So one of the examples of that is that one of Abraham's descendants is a guy called Joseph. And Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. Now that's a group of people really blessing each other and blessing the world, isn't it? He's taken down to Egypt, but while he's there, God uses him to preserve the people of earth in a time of great famine. And then they go, yay, something good happened. Except that that leads to that family going down to Egypt, and they end up in slavery. And God uses a very flawed person, Moses, to bring them out of Egypt. And then they spend time in the wilderness where God instructs them how to live. He promises them things like, if you live this way, you'll thrive. But if not, it's not going to end well. He says, yeah, if you don't do what you're told, if you don't sort of live this way, you'll experience exile again. There's that word. And they get the land promised to Abraham. They develop a kingdom. But even at their best, they keep falling into the same old traps, the same old sins, just taking on new and worse forms. And that's and they do. They end up in exile. And even when a small chunk of them return to the land, things are not what they feel they ought to be. And the Old Testament ends with that people still feeling like they're in exile and still wondering, is there anything that could be done to break this cycle, to break this experience? And that's where we're going to be picking up the story from September the 10th. God hasn't given up in the world. He sends Jesus into the world. But again, Jesus doesn't come as a big leader. You know, he's not born into a palace as a king and all of that. He doesn't sort of arrive at the top of the Roman Empire, which was the biggest empire in the day. He comes as a teacher. A prophet, a healer, born in an occupied land, raised in the back end of nowhere, kept hidden for the best part of 30 years, 
given that he's only going to live for 33. That seems rather a weakness. And in this world, the Romans are the rulers. Caesar is said to be God made manifest, the universal saviour of human life. Caesar is said to be the one who brings peace and prosperity to the world. They had sayings which they called the gospel, and they said things like, there is no other, no, no other name under heaven given to us by which we may be saved than the name of Caesar. And that was, that's, that was Caesar's good news. He, called, he even called it his gospel. And right under his nose, in a cave with animals, there's a little baby of whom all of those things is true. And when he hits about 30, Jesus goes out and teaches his version of good news, or gospel, about how God has finally come to end the exile which has haunted humanity down through the ages. So God wants to fix these broken relationships, to bring us back into relationship with God, with others, with creation, and even ourselves. So Jesus goes around. He forgives sins. He heals people. He teaches about the immense, unfailing love of God, not just to good guys and girls, but to the whole world. He teaches a very radical way to live, often undermining all that they thought their Bibles had been telling them, what was way beyond the goodness of even their best. And it sounds really impossible, but he also welcomes even the worst of what the, of what the good folk in those days would have looked, the, people those, the, the good people would have looked down on. He welcomes them into relationship. He even calls 12 disciples as an echo of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's like he's saying, God is reforming the band. He's getting the whole gang back together again. He's reforming a people through whom God will bless the whole world. And it sounds great, except that Jesus' message isn't universally popular. Especially sadly amongst the religious types and the powerful types. And they feel threatened. They're threatened by Jesus very early on. Very early on, they start looking to get rid of him. And then at Passover, a time when they were actually celebrating God rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. They had Jesus put to death by the Romans. And Jesus looks defeated. But this is God's survive, you know, surprising victory. Jesus takes on the full force of the evil of the world. He empties it of its power. Even as humanity does its worst to God, God is pronouncing forgiveness on us. The worst thing they could do to Jesus was kill him. And God went, really? That's all you got? And raised Jesus from the dead. And the resurrection is a sign that nothing can stop God putting this whole network of relationships, putting a whole thing back together again. But Jesus doesn't walk out of the tomb and say, oh, by the way, I'm the world's true king. He doesn't hop on a boat or walk on the water over to Rome and kick out Tiberius, I think he probably would have been the, the emperor at that point. He doesn't even raise up an army and wipe out those who killed him. As God seems to continually do throughout the story, he starts small with that band of people, most of whom nobody would have known about, and used them to spread the message of his love. 
and it begins in Jerusalem where he was killed, and it spreads outwards to Judea and Samaria, and then on into their known world. It's a bunch of people who pledge their allegiance to God as the one true ruler of the world. And it's not easy. They face lots of opposition and ridicule. But God still uses them to be the way his message spreads. God sends his Holy Spirit and empowers them for the task. And they speak of God's love. And they break down all sorts of barriers that humanity has erected. They are race, class, tribe, nations. They lived in a world where really it was quite hierarchical. They were the only group of people that would have had slaves and masters sitting at the same place at the same level, sometimes even having the slave above the master within the community. And they declare that God made us right with God and with each other, and we can be free from guilt and shame. And this part of the story is still going. It's continued to be a word of mouth campaign for 2,000 years. And we're invited to be part of it. And this is where we are in the story. But it's not the end of the Bible story. Because it ends with God coming home. We live in a period where God has won the victory. But the power of evil still continues. Brokenness, wrongdoing, sickness, death, still very much part of our world. We live in a time of invitation. But our world still often runs rejecting God's rule or even God's existence. But the promise is that one day God will come home and will make his home amongst us. That he will finally heal and restore all that is broken in our world. He will wipe every tear from our eyes and bring an end to death and mourning and crying and pain. He will bring unity to all these relationships, reconciling all things to himself. And in the midst of it all, we will be made new with the indestructible life of God coursing through our bodies. And having been made fully new, we will share in his new creation, his new heaven, his new earth. And that's the big story we'll be exploring as we read the scriptures together over the coming months. We live in an age, you know, I'm always getting adverts for things that are called immersive experiences. I'm actually encouraging you to immerse yourself in the big story of the Bible. Let it soak into our life. Let it be like water soaking into a sponge. May we know that we are created in God's image. And even though that image can be hidden and tarnished by sin, both our own and by others, God hasn't given up on us. Though we live in that network of broken relationships, our sins can be forgiven. And we can accept God's invitation to live in relationship to him. To turn away from evil, to offer our hearts to Jesus and become part of the story of God's new creation. And may we live our parts. May we not be 
people who just soak in the Bible. But through the Holy Spirit, may we be wrung out. May God's love pour out of us into our community, our city, wherever we happen to be in the other 166 and a half hours we're not in church during the way. Carrying the story forward, being part of God putting the whole thing back together again. Let's take a moment to be still. Lord, we thank you for this big story of which we are part. The story that we are not here by chance, that we are created in love and created for love, that we are created to live in relationship to you, to others, to the created order, but even to ourselves. Lord Jesus, we're aware that each of us, in so many ways, lives with at least some of those relationships fragmented. times our relationship with you can be strained. Partly because of brokenness in the other parts of our relationship. We struggle to trust you. Just like our first ancestors, we fall back on our own very finite, very limited wisdom. our relationships with others can be damaged. Perhaps even within this room we have relationships that are not healthy. Relationships that are broken. We don't always live in relationship to one another. And even as we go out beyond that, we can live in relationships with others that are broken. Sometimes even with those closest to us, sometimes even beyond. And Lord, our news will be full of stories where those broken relationships are at the fore. Be they in the small scale, be they on a much bigger scale. From individual hostilities through to race-related crimes, cultural-related crimes, religiously dominated wars, wars over resources and money and power, people using others for their own We offer you those relationships that are of cost. 
what relationship you need to bring to God. In a moment of stillness, I invite you to pray. And we live in a world where resources are not shared fairly. Our relationship with creation itself is very fragile. Our planet is very fragile. And just as in that story of Babel, even our best attempts to collaborate come unstuck when they conflict with other things that interest us. So we pray for those who have to take decisions, that they might take decisions wisely, and that they might take decisions fairly, that the burden of paying for those decisions will not unfairly fall on one group of people or another. We ask, Lord God, that you might bring healing to our relationship with our family. And we bring you ourselves, our relationship with ourselves. The hurts, the pains we carry around, the anger, the frustrations, the bitterness. Let it be the atmosphere in which